Welcome to the Side Talks podcast. What's up, Ding Dongs? What? Whoa! I, oh my god, I, I just there? had a stroke. Whoa! Because I think if I do it, I feel like if I do it, then I take it from him and we can stop. You take the power. <laughs> I took the power back. I took back the night, Corey. I took back the night. <laughs> He's really upset. <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> I've destroyed him. Oh my god! I I think I'm. Wow, I'm speechless. (laughs) I'm speechless. Uh, This is not a podcast about Dolly Madison treats. Is that who does that, or is that just is Dolly Madison hostess hostess? Maybe Dolly Madison's been done for 20 years, probably. Anyway, while Corey recovers, um, we better get out of this opening segment and uh, we'll talk about movies in here in a second. Yeah, let's talk about movies. What's up, Ding Dongs? Still did I'm it. I'm taking back my power. He still did it. He still did it. So now it's time for a segment of the podcast called Phone a Friend, where we do just that. Phone a friend. Hello? McBro Bro, what is up? It's Rachel and Hi. Corey. Hello. Hey, y'all. How's it going? Oh, doing really well. Um, we just fought about the film Poison Ivy starring Drew Barrymore. Oh, so. no, I don't think I've ever seen that one. Um, oh, put it on your list. It's very silly. Put it on your list. I was just, I was saying that all dads were horny in the 90s. And every every single one, apparently. I mean, every last one. <laughs> according to cinema, every last one. But more importantly, we want to know what you've been watching. Okay, well, I guess this kind of works well with horny dads um because <laughs> great <laughs> <laughs> terrific to keep oh, that I conversation see, going i see a series in our future <laughs> well so it's i mean it's not a usual choice for us but um we were it was just one of those like Tony wanted to just put on a movie to have on that we thought wouldn't be too engrossing we could just have it on while we were doing some other things um a week or so ago and he found um a james bond movie oh yeah yeah, which I think, you know, like, the, you know, in the 90s, you, they mainlined those things on TNT and TBS, which I guess was for the horny dad. Um, yeah, that's people. true. That's yeah. very true. Yeah. Uh-huh. It was really so, the only um, thing keeping that population at home, you know, settled down. That's true. <laughs> TBS. Thank you for good, doing all the good work, TBS. Yeah. Keeping dads at um, home. <laughs> keeping dads at home. Um, so we found one that we, you know, honestly, I haven't seen any probably since watching bits and pieces from a marathon in the 90s, you know, on cable. So um, we kind of were like, well, what's one we don't recognize? And so we watched Diamonds Are Forever. Oof. And, yeah, it was it's not hard good. to follow. It's not a good it was, one. It's very complicated. I know. I was like, because I hadn't seen one since so long, and I was like, is this, are they all kind of, like, is James Bond always kind of pudgy and, like, sort of aloof, and the story doesn't make any sense? Is that Because I didn't remember it being that way, but... This one apparently is that way. And upon further investigation, um, I'm sure as everyone that knows more about James Bond than I do, um, the uh, Lazenby had done the one and then there was a the whole contract thing and he was asking for too much and all this and that. And he was guided away from doing a sequel. So then they got old Sean Connery back for a very hefty price tag. But it's like he, I don't know, he sort of seemed to phone it in, but maybe he also seemed to be kind of having fun a little bit of the time. But either way, the story was so complicated. I have, like, no notes on the story because I could not follow it. It was, there were diamonds. Yikes. And there were babes. And there were sets. Um, and it was, the sets were great. The sets and the fashion, as predicted, 1971, James Bond. Like, that's what I loved. Um, but... You know, there was a lot of complicatedness. Um, but let me tell you the best part. I was not prepared for this exciting 
whole section of the movie. Guess where they go. I have no idea. Circus Circus? Oh my yes. God! That's right. That's right. <gasps> I, I love it. About that, completely. I love it. How was Circus Circus's representation? Okay. So it was fantastic. Okay, because like yeah, because you know, recently we watched Showgirls. Right after we got back from Vegas, we were keeping the Vegas theme going. We were like, yeah, Vegas, Vegas. This one was completely out of nowhere. It was like, uh, hey, let's watch an old James Bond movie for the hell of it, kind of thing. And then it, you know, here what comes are Simon the odds, the Lisa? What are the odds? Of all the casinos. I know, I know. The one, our favorite one, we spent the most time in. I know. So, um, yeah, so there are diamonds, and then they make it to America, and then, you know, they got, of course, you've got to have the gambling and all the, the bond-looking stuff, so I guess they had to go to Vegas. And then, yeah, the big scene, there's a bunch of stuff set in Circus Circus there. Um, well, there's all these car chases showing a lot of Ford products, because oh. that was crucial to yeah, the Americanization of the uh, Bond series. Yes, exactly. Somebody's got to get paid. Were, <laughs> they were driving around like you see the golden nugget you see all you know they're driving around all the things a lot but then eventually they're inside the casino and there's so many you see all the things you see the um you know all the games and okay part of the plot is the cia is trying to get these diamonds that are stuck inside a teddy bear to one of the bond girls and um, they do so by doing this game, one of those water games where you shoot the water gun at the thing or whatever. I did that game. Um, yeah, I did yeah. that game. I know. Well, so did, a bo- so did uh, Jill St. James. And oh, my so God. It's rigged, though, by the CIA. Mine was rigged, too. You know what? Mine was, was fucking rigged, too. <laughs> you should take that up with the CIA. Here's the thing. I feel like what hotel, I mean, um, rather casino would agree to show in a movie i mean i know they wanted the publicity but also they're showing in a movie that oh yeah oopsie the cia rigged this game no big deal don't don't worry about it it's totally fine because well after she wins the teddy bear which she doesn't know has the diamonds in it right. at the moment um some kid next to her and hold on I, I i screenshotted what he said or what she said to him so some kid next to her calls her out for it and then um yeah, so he yeah he calls her out for the unfairness of the game, and her response was, "Blow up your pants, kid." Whoa! <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> Hold on! Whoa! Um, but, also, can I just yeah. ask Lisa? Do I need to go home and cut open that Rasta banana that I won at Circus Circus and see if there's you diamonds in it? There could be secret diamonds that the CIA was trying to like smuggle around and eventually get to a satellite in space and like all kinds of stuff. I know, I know. Um, so that was really fun. There was, okay. Uh, however, um, there was some problematic freak show stuff. Oh no. You know? Oh no. But I will say having just been there, I don't think that they do that anymore. So surely they don't. Right. I don't yeah. think they do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so we didn't see was, it. We um, saw only live breathing trapeze. human, human beings on trapeze, which they seem like they and want, they wanted to be there. Oh, that's nice. They did. And they were also prominently featured. Um, and I was like, oh, my gosh, it has not changed. As far as the sort of the, the midway area and the casino down below and the trapeze and stuff, I mean, it is the same. It looks amazing. Um, so I looked it up, and the casino opened in 1968, and this movie came out in 71. So I guess, you know, it was, it was hot and fresh, and they wanted to make sure, you know, it was getting a lot of publicity. <laughs> you but know, that was not like- our experience. Hot and fresh is not how I would have described <laughs> our experience at Circus Circus. So right. it's good to know that at one I point think- in time it was hot and fresh. Uh-huh. <laughs> and um, I was reading, so that, of course, made me read more about Circus Circus. And apparently it cost $15 million. 
Doesn't that sound like nothing? That sounds like nothing. Like, yeah. we, like I mean, I, I wanted to say I could do that this afternoon just to be a baller, but I really couldn't do that this afternoon. But, I mean, it sounded cool when I started <laughs> no. to say it. It's theoretically possible, right? So, yeah, theoretically. You know what? If we all pulled, Lisa, if we all pulled our money and, pull and then yeah. rob, robbed a small bank, just a small bank, we'd be good to go. Yeah. We could finance the Circus Circus level 1968 era casino. Yeah. Absolutely. Um. But apparently, you know, they've added on. At the time, though, it didn't have a hotel, so it was just a casino, and it wasn't as popular. But once they built the hotel, and they've continued to add, and now they have, you know, a lot of hotel rooms, um, it's done well. But you know what? They also added back in the day, and they still have today, is an RV park. Yes, you know they do. Oh. Yes, we walked past it. Yes. Oh, I didn't even notice it. Oh, my yes. gosh. So, yeah, we could just drive an RV up there. Uh, Gosh, Circus Circus, they're just still kicking so hard. It's very impressive. I really hope um, we have more years with them. Because, you know, our fear is that, ooh, not long for this world. But I'm really, I'm going to light a prayer candle. Because <laughs> I, I want to see this place. I want to be able to for go back circus, in 10 circus. years and have a similar conversation, if you know what I mean. Good. Yes. Agreed. Me too. Me too. Um, but it was just really such a treat because it wasn't <laughs> even like, oh, they drove by it. I mean, they drove by a bunch of, uh, you know, casinos I recognized. But they like, spent so much time in there and they were playing the games. And uh, I was just like, oh, my gosh, my favorite. So it was pretty cute. Um, so that was fun. Um, but, you know, there was – let me see. Some other fun things. Okay. So the there's the whole thing where there's this, like, pseudo guy in the tower named Will, Willard White. And he okay. is based on Howard Hughes. Oh. Um, and so what's interesting is the Willard White character was played by Jimmy Dean of Sausage Fame. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. I mean, among other things, but that's wow. like how I know him. Oh. When I used to go... So wait, he's known for more than just the sausage? Apparently. Can you get the dick jar out, please? Oh, thank you. I, I know. I feel bad. I'm sure, you know, people older than me know him for more than that. But all on the way to school growing up, we would drive by. There, in Florence for years, there was a Jimmy Dean, like facility and i would smell it and see it on the way to school <laughs> for like my entire time. so i just know him as a sausage guy but he was really charming and i liked him a lot and he's kind of folksy and cool and so um anyway yeah so he he played um a sort of howard hughes type character but it said here i have a, have a trivia at the time of the movie jimmy dean who played white was an employee of hughes at the desert in uh, hotel that he owned. What? So Dean confessed Holy to being shit. largely uneasy portraying a fictional version of his real life boss. Isn't that interesting? Huh. That's really interesting. So, yeah, I'm trying to picture, you know, doing that and having my boss see that and be okay with it. I think that's tricky. I don't think Howard Hughes terrible. was getting out to the movies. That's true. He's, that he's too busy washing his hands. Um, maybe he, <laughs> yeah, so maybe he rented by. a print. <laughs> and sat um, watching it naked. by that sausage factory every day i was like one degree away from howard hughes oh I my god it's it. so true wow who knew, <laughs> who knew? Um, <laughs> and then some other interesting uh characters that i did not expect to see bruce glover that's right uh father of crispin as we all know is um he's a henchman um and along with um and i was unfamiliar with this other guy but um do y'all know what's his name here putter Putter Smith. Apparently, I do not. No. Yeah, he's the other guy, the other henchman, and they are gay in the movie. Yeah. Oh. It's, um... Is it... Oh, I'm getting nervous. Yeah. No, yeah. it's weirdly, like, it's weirdly low-key. Like, they're just yeah. two henchmen, which are just weirdos, 
and they go around. They're trying to intercept the diamonds between Bond and all the, you know, all the shenanigans and the, the stuff. And then, like, at one point, they are in the desert, and they've just intercepted something, the diamonds, I guess, at some point, because they keep getting them and losing them in this net. And then they skip off holding hands. Yeah, that and, I, that's the part I remember most vividly. Oh, that's, that's slightly lightly offensive. And, you know, you said they're weirdos, and, you know, of course they had to be, because they're gay, so they got to do that in the Bond <laughs> film. But at the same time, you know, let me just say this. In, in their defense, there's some gay weirdos out there. There are. <laughs> Spoiler. There are. Uh, podcast at sidewalkfest.com. Email us if you are a gay weirdo. Yeah, and I was saying they're weirdos because they're like clearly supposed to be weirdo, like cast weirdo henchman types. But also, one of them is Crispin Glover's dad, so clearly sure. they're fucking weirdos. They have a look for sure, because Potter Smith apparently he's um, he's a famous jazz bassist, and oh, he was discovered. Had no idea. The, I know. I learned so much. Um, like I did not follow the movie at all, but like all the trivia and facts, I'm like, whoa, fascinating. Um, but yeah, apparently he, the producer for the movie spotted him, um, at a Thelonious Monk concert and thought he had a good, I guess, henchman look. And cause he's kind of got that thing where he's sort of like bald on the top, but it's long on the sides, but he also still has sort of bangs, yeah. which is, oh. it's unsettling hairstyle, honestly. Yeah. Um, so it's him, and then it's Bruce Glover, and I guess, yeah, and then they, they at one point, so they're weirdos objectively, no matter what, but then at one point, yes, they skip away holding hands, and so that's kind of it. There's really not much else about them being gay. It's never really addressed or mentioned, but I did read that it was confirmed that, that like, the writers and stuff, like, that's, it wasn't intentional. Like, they are supposed to be gay, um, but that's, that's kind of it. They don't really go in a weird too strange of a place with it and they don't address it and they don't harp on it and it's just very kind of like oh these henchmen are a, a couple that's cool so it's just a, a kind of an interesting little bit in there that you know surprises you yeah bond so, bond's um, gonna do some bond's gonna bond you know you gotta, you gotta do that a little bit so um yeah and then uh, oh yeah here's a little uh, an anecdote it says during a late 1990s airing of the movie on tbs dinner and a movie y'all remember that i yes. love dinner and a movie let me just say I this right now i love dinner and a movie me too it was just uh, so fun um so 90s but um it said bruce Wilder recalled that while filming their scenes together he and putter smith had sir sean connery convinced that the two were actually openly homosexual Glover added that a few years later, while on an airplane flight, he was flirting with a female flight attendant and suddenly heard a Scottish-accented voice saying, you son of a bitch. Glover turned around and saw that it was the man, uh, that the man was Sean Connery. So, um, yeah, so he actually had Sean Connery going for years, thinking he was like, actually for real these guys. Oh, and he was then probably angry that he hadn't bedded down this flight attendant first, <laughs> knowing his little slippery ways. Uh, Sean Connery, I'm sure, was super cool with with gay people, right? Like we we definitely think that, right? Um, uh, I think so, probably. Yeah. yeah, I think I don't think I think there's other issues that we could discuss with Sean Connery. <laughs> that and that's not well. He did date both of the leading ladies simultaneously during ding ding ding. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, oh, that that's a problem. Uh, <laughs> oh man, you need to have you have you listened to the you must remember this Sean Connery. Anyway, I'll stop no, there. No, I have not. But there are other the fact issues. that one exists I'll just, uh, uh, fills I, me with a I'll, little dread. There's issues. Okay. Okay. Um, but yeah, so Jill St. John is Tiffany Case, and Lana Wood is Plenty O'Toole. So those are the Plenty the O'Toole! Plenty O'Toole! Man, this thing, is, this thing is just full. It's it, filled to the brim. 
Okay, and then there's a whole thing, too, with apparently Lana Wood is Natalie Wood's, you know, sister, R.I.P., and then... R.I.P., um, R.I.P., thank you. Later, Jill St. John, in real life, marries, uh, what is his name, Robert Wagner? Uh-huh. Oh, shit. Who is the, was the suspect of the Natalie Wood boat murder thing. And so then Lana and her had, like, bad beef for years, and it was drama. Man, Damn. That's deep. That's deep. So that clearly suggests that she doesn't think Kristen Walk, Christopher Walken did it. That maybe old Wagner did it. I. Corey's not going to lean in. It's like it's right now. Just so y'all, just so the audience knows, right now I'm looking at Corey as if he knows something about what happened on the boat that night. I am not willing to share what I know. But let's just say that. if I if I were putting my chips on one suspect over the other, I'd probably put them on Robert Wagner too. Yeah, just saying. I'm not okay, going to argue I, that. I did read in reading about that that apparently uh, when they reopened the case and investigated him as recently as like 2018 or something. Mm-hmm. Um, well, first of all, Jill St. John like wouldn't even let the police come inside. Like she like stopped them at the door and was all mad about it. But eventually, they seem to have cleared his name, and now it's a cold case again. But mm. I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I I don't, yeah, only Corey, I think we're all going to go to the grave and only Corey's going to know the true answer. Yeah, I hope so. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) R.I.P. all the same. Yeah, I mean, so I can't necessarily recommend the movie for the whole, like, movies plot because it was a lot, but if you want to watch some mediocre Bond movie with, you know, some fun antics and and a great whole scene in Circus Circus, then there you go. And who doesn't so, want that? Also, there is a scene, which I did think was funny, where they're out in the desert now, out um, in, you know, out from Vegas, and they are going through this secret lab, and then they all of a sudden bust up in a set of the moon landing with, like, moon buggies and spacemen and stuff. And so that was, like, a cute play and reference to, because it had so recently happened, the moon landing, that, that oh. people thought it was fake. And so that was kind of like a cheeky, like, we maybe really did film this in the desert kind of thing. So they so stumbled upon Kubrick's studio, did they? <laughs> Man, this thing, and, uh, this is pretty, that's pretty sharp. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, so, um, and then I read this little fact. So the moon buggy was discovered rotting in a farmer's field in Kent, which is weird because it was in Vegas. Like, it was shot outside Vegas. But somehow the moon buggy got flown all the way back over. It was rotting in a field in Kent in the early 1990s and completely restored in 1993 by the James Bond International Fan Club. And in 2004, it was auctioned at Christie's for um, $44,000. And guess who purchased it? I have no freaking idea. Planet Hollywood, Las Vegas. Oh, Oh my God. It's back where it belongs. It's back where it belongs. Oh, man. That's one of the things that caused Planet Hollywood to have to file bankruptcy. (laughs) Spending money on that that moon buggy all the way out there in the jolly old. (laughs) So, yeah, I found out lots of factoids about this one because the movie itself wasn't really very funny to talk about. But, um, yeah, you know, lots of of interesting things. Oh, you brought us a lot. You brought us a lot today. It's a lot. It's really a lot to unpack, really. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> That's okay. I'm I'm into it, uh, and it all begins like all things do at Circus Circus, Corey. Always, I know. But there wasn't wow. a lady that like fell out and seemed unwell in this one, or so it happened. <laughs> but they didn't go to Slots of Fun, I assume. If they, they had walked over to Slots of Fun, they might have found something have found like her. that. They might have. <laughs> 
All right, dude. Well, thank you for bringing this one to us. Corey's got a thumbs down, but we appreciate the all the the factoids around it and the connectivity. I didn't realize how inventive the casting for these yeah. Bond movies was. Pretty impressive. I know they really they do a lot. All right. Well, we'll talk to you next time. Okay. Bye. 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 Show and don't waste a smile. Show me that smile. Don't waste another minute on your crying. It's that section of the podcast where, you know, people love it because I show you something, Corey, That's right. and no one else can see it, really. Well, Brad can, a little bit. And so I'm about to slide something over to you, okay. and you, young blood, I, are not even going to know what this I is, are you? I know what this is. This Tell is an Atari cartridge. No, it's not. It's not an Atari cartridge? That's an 8-track. Oh, I didn't it's, know what this yes. was. Jesus Christ. This is, a, I didn't realize they were this big. Isn't that a chunky little motherfucker? I guess I always assumed that an 8-track was roughly the same size as a cassette tape. No, much bigger, as you can see. Yeah. Anyway, this is an 8-track of music from Close Encounters of the Third Kind as performed by the Electric Moog Orchestra. So this is all synth versions I guess close so. encounters music. I'm in the process of getting my of trying to get my eight track player cranked up because I do have one, um, and I'm trying to get it to play. But I'm having to do some. I'm not great, Brad. Just so you know, I'm not great at the audio stuff, but I do like to fuss around with it. And so I'm trying to connect the sucker to a preamp. See how professional wow. I sounded right there. That sounds pro. Yeah, and so I want because I want to get it working, and I do know that it powers up. And, and the little gauges light up. Um, so I'm hoping that I'm going to be able to get some sound out of it. But I, that's going to be one of the first things I try, and I will confirm. But look at that thing. Here's the re- part of the reason why I bring it to you. It's not uh-huh. as I just recently acquired this 8-track player and thus from my, my parents' house where I had at some <laughs> point in time bought this. Well, understandable. 20 years ago when, when, when that stuff was just covering the thrift stores, I thought, hey, someday this is going to be hard to find and I'm going to you know, I'm gonna want this. And so I'll store it at my parents' house, which they really appreciate, for <laughs> 20, 30 years and then I'll uncover it and bring it to Corey one day. But the re- part of the reason why I wanted to bring it to you is can you just imagine that somebody purchased this sucker and played it potentially in their car – or potentially on their little home eight-track player and listen to this weird, possibly synth version of Close Encounters. I mean, all I can picture is like the cast of Dazed and Confused hotboxing an old 70s car and and listening to this while they do it. Um, Because I don't don't really understand why you would need an eight-track version of the Close Encounters score as performed by the electric Moog Orchestra if there were if it was not weed related in some way. I can't imagine. And it's it really stood out because as I'm going through stuff, there's of course, as you can probably guess, there's ELO. Oh there, god. Oh, I love ELO so much though. There's a Bob Seeger eight track. Nice. There's um Oh my gosh, let me I mean you you probably can can imagine. There, there's one called I'll bring it next time. <laughs> Travolta Fever. Oh! Which actually kind of makes sense too. Yeah. And there's a handful of stuff like that. There's some Donna Summer. Um, you know, the, the, usual t- the usual suspects. But then sitting between all of those is this Close Encounters. Well, this. So I needed to bring it and share it with everybody. This is really cool. I'm very curious to know what this sounds like. Um, I Yeah, this is just, this completely missed me. But how long were was the eight track like a viable popular medium it it was not long for this world i would i would call that and brad can correct me if i'm wrong but i'd say a, a really solidly about a decade 
That sounds about right. And then it was replaced by the cassette tape. Yeah, you know what it's like? Do you remember mini discs? Yeah. So, you know, it was kind of like the mini disc step to the MP3 player. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Remember, mini discs were really only around for what, ha- maybe even like five years, really? Maybe, yeah. yeah, like three or fi- three yeah. to five years. I thought they were the coolest thing when they first came out. Because I'm like, look how small it is. You know, it was when people were still kicking that little CD player on their yeah. on their belt. So anyway, yeah, it was really our transitionary period to the cassette tape. Sure. But oh. um, what you'll notice on the back is that there's programs and you push a button that takes you to the next program oh my god yeah that is so cool yeah anyway that's what i had for you to show and tell you today well thank you so much for listening to this episode of the side talks podcast we're your own personal cinematic money and Degas. oh boy do you know about this artist artist dudes they were artist Given dudes. Artist they were snit. they were frenemies. Frenemies. And uh, I just I actually went to an exhibit when I was I was out of town recently. You were abroad. I was abroad, and I went to an exhibit. And what I learned, uh, I well actually I can't say I learned it because I do have an art history minor. Uh-huh. We're all forced uh-huh. in, in film school at SCAD. You're forced to have an art history minor. I think that's and I've good, forgotten ultimately. all of it. It's oh. great, but I have forgotten every bit about it because yeah. really art history was a bit of just like hey we're going to memorize all this and then answer questions on right, the test. Right, 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 right. And so it none a lot of it hasn't really. Stopped stuck but i I was my memory was jogged by this uh, exhibition Uh and one thing that i uh i remembered was that they would oftentimes paint each other or you know sort of argue about art and culture and there was there's a famous painting that i believe it was that um degas painted and uh-huh. i'll have to ch- i'll have to we have to come back and retract because you know our art history fiends listening right now are going to be very angry i'm pretty sure that it was uh, degas who painted this um this painting of manet listening to his wife play piano okay and manet didn't like the depiction of his wife didn't think it was good artistry oh. and cut the <gasps> painting yes and so at this exhibit Ooh. they had the painting and then they had the the cutoff part next to it which was kind of cool oh that's really cool it's a, a bit of a slap in the face though yeah i don't think so anyway. you should do that we're not usually this highbrow on our outro, but I thought I would be this time. You're listening to NPR. Yes. I mean, kind of. Anyway, um, anyway. Thanks to Beltwell Studios. Yeah, Corey, ne- I would never I would never cut Kathleen out of a painting. Next outro, though, we got to go back to talking about like the Kardashians or something. It's going to happen. Don't worry. Actually, oh, might be a little a, bit. A, let, a me, let me just tell you. Rainforest Cafe. Oh. Only a step or two away from Degas oh, okay. is the Rainforest Cafe. Okay. And in Las Vegas, that's actually probably true. There's probably right this, around the corner a, a from the rainforest. Artifact. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, um, thanks for listening. Uh, thanks to Boutwell Studios. Thank you, Brad. You're welcome. And um, why don't you visit us online at sidewalkfest.com or see us on social media at Sidewalk Film. Come see a movie with us, too, at the cinema. You can see what we're doing, what kind of antics we're up to at the cinema by visiting us online. Uh, And we hope you'll do that, Um, especially, look, I mean, if you listen to this podcast, why the hell wouldn't you come see a movie with us? They could be like in Switzerland or something. That's how the world wide web works. Wow. Did you well, know? That? Well, you can, you know, we'll wait. We'll, you can book a ticket now. Um, take a flight to Birmingham. It's I, worth it. They're relatively inexpensive. And then come see, I don't know, whatever. Come see Bo is Afraid, the new Ari Aster movie on the big screen with us. Tickets are on sale now, I think. As We're you, also going to be screening Girls Just Want to Have Fun. And the thought of somebody coming all the way from Switzerland to watch Girls Just Want to Have Fun at the cinema just 
sounds really rewarding. Well, to me. maybe we sucked him in with our highbrow art talk it's true. here. It's true. Uh, anyway, hope to see you at the cinema soon, unless you're from out of town, at which point, I don't know. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Anyway, bye. bye. Batwell Studios Podcast Division. Your words, our expertise.